We are traveling through the book of Genesis. We teach something on Sunday, and then we go through the chapter in depth on Wednesday right here at 7. So we're in chapter 13. You can turn there. Let me ask you a question as you're flipping there or turning on your device. Let me ask this question to set up this text. Since you begin to follow Jesus, since you believed in Jesus, have you obeyed him perfectly? Please don't raise your hand if you did, because it will make those around you want to break a commandment, so we don't want that to happen. Uh, the way to prove it is just walk across the Rogue River, then we'll know, yeah, that's right. We know that when we believe in Jesus, it starts something, and that that start is beautiful and wonderful, but it's going to come with hills and valleys, good and bad. And I love Scripture because Scripture is real honest about its heroes, that they're flawed. So on the one side, there's these victorious moments that the Bible will hold up when David takes out Goliath. But then the Bible will also tell us about his colossal mistakes when David goes into Bathsheba, another man's wife. So the Bible is really good like that. It's super honest. And so with Abram, we get the same picture. So yeah, Abram is, the New Testament holds him up as this example of faith. Read Romans 3, read Galatians 3. Like, look at Abram. He's a picture of what it means to be a man of faith, a person of faith. It's brilliant. It's awesome. But it is not a sugar-coated message from Abram. And so in chapter 12, if you were here last week, we saw Abram make a colossal mistake. And so the question becomes for all of us, when we make mistakes, when we have our valleys, how do you walk out of that? How can you be renewed? To me, that's chapter 13. It's awesome. So chapter 13 now gives us, here's this man of faith called Abram, and here's how he walks out of some really dumb stuff he did, some big time sins he did. Here's how he walks out of it. It's awesome. And what we'll see on Wednesday night is actually, there's two different pictures forming here. One is Abram at this point, Abram being renewed, and the other is Lot, who's actually walking in the opposite direction, which is fascinating. He's going downhill. He gets really, really sick and dark for Lot. And what I think is fascinating is Abram's coming off a colossal sin, chapter 12, and his trajectory is up. Lot, who did not have that same sin, who might be sitting there saying, man, Abram, I would never do that. In pride, Lot is going off a big cliff. To me, it reminds me of what Jesus says in the New Testament, that those who are forgiven much love much. So something has actually happened in Abram with his mistake that leads to this renewal, leads, leads to this brilliance, all right? So chapter 13 is renewal. And if you're a believer in Jesus, at some point, you're going to need chapter 13, Maybe right now you're in Egypt, you're partying with Pharaoh, and you're wondering, how do I get out of this? How do I get renewed? Chapter 13 is for you. If not, tuck it away, because you'll need it. Are you ready? Here's how to renew. Here's how to walk back in to faith. Look at step number one. 
It's verse three of chapter 13. Listen to this. And Abram journeyed on from the Negev. This is the southern part of Israel, the the desert there right down by Egypt. As far as Bethel, now he's coming up north to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of Yahweh. I love that. Step one is return. Return to the place you belong. Abram knows, that's where I belong. I don't belong down in Egypt. I belong up there, right by Bethel, it's Shechem. I belong right there, that's where I belong. So let me recap for you, if you weren't here last, when, last Sunday, and what took place. Chapter 12 is this, God calls Abram, he obeys, goes to the land, there's a famine, it's tough, so Abram says, I'm going to Egypt where there's food. On his way down there, Sarai, his wife, really good looking, he is afraid and says, people are gonna kill me to take you. So lie and tell everybody, you're my sister, not my wife. He does that. He believed at that time, culturally, the brother, if the dad wasn't around, the brother would actually control the marriage of his sister. So he thinks, I can protect this, I can work this situation. It might be a lie, but you know what? It's gonna work out good. Well, the one guy he cannot say no to is the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh is the one guy that wants his wife. And so she gets sucked into Pharaoh's harem and Abram is just, he's absolutely powerless. Then God, you know the story, God comes in a brilliant rescue mission. And the first thing Abram does is leaves Egypt and goes back where he belongs. He gets renewed. I think Christianity is a series of returnings. That that's really what it is. That we start to drift and we start to go and we start to go. And then it's, hey, return. Jesus says it like this to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2, 4. He says to them there, he says, hey, I have one thing against you. You've left your first love. Remember from where you've fallen. Repent and redo those first works again. Get back where you belong. Or Isaiah 30, one of my favorite passages. Isaiah puts it like this. The Israelites are going down to Egypt to get help. And God says to them this. It's Isaiah 30, verse 15. In returning and in rest, you will be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. God beckons to his people. Don't go down there. Come back to me. Come back where you belong. Or one of my favorites is Jeremiah 3.22. God speaking again, he says this, oh, faithless sons. Who's God talking to right there? His varsity crew? The good guys? No. Oh, bonehead morons, right? That's what God's saying. You bonehead morons who are making all kinds of mistakes. Oh, faithless sons, Return to me and I will heal your faithlessness. I love that. 
So often we think we gotta get ourselves all figured out and all our faith all figured out and then we can come back to God. God's like, no, come to me as a faithless son and I'll heal you. Come to me as a bonehead moron and I'll transform you. It's one of the most brilliant little passages, right? I can give you a ton of these. The prodigal son is what? It's a story of returning. Man, you don't belong in the pig pen. Get out of there, go home, right? Over and over. Part of my job, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, is to remind you of that. Listen, if you're in Egypt, you can come home. Listen, if you're in Egypt, you can come back where you belong. Are you where you belong? If you look at your life, are you where you belong? Well, Matt, I don't even know where I belong. It's not like, hey, I'm in Egypt and I should be, it's not that easy. How do I know where I belong? I think Abram actually gives us the way to evaluate if we're where we belong. Notice something about Abram. Notice this. I'll read him for you. It's chapter 12, the previous chapter, verse seven. It says this, Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So Abram built there an altar to Yahweh. He builds an altar. Then, verse eight, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent where, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to Yahweh and called upon the name of Yahweh. Down to verse four, we just read it. He returned to the place where he built the altar and he calls on the name of Yahweh. End of chapter 13, verse 18, listen to this. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to Yahweh. Do you notice a pattern? Abram moves somewhere, builds an altar, calls on the name of God. That's his pattern. There's one time Abram moves somewhere in these chapters and he does not build an altar. Guess where that's at? When he goes to Egypt. When he goes down to Egypt, he doesn't build an altar and it never says he calls on the name of Yahweh. That's how I evaluate if I'm where I'm belonging. Am I building memorials? Am I building things? Am I demonstrating, hey, this, this is the, the God that I serve. This is my Lord, my altar. Am I calling on his name? Because I think this, I think we're a lot like kids. And when my kids have done something, sinned somehow against this Pharaoh, guess what they go do? When they're little, they would literally hide from me behind like the couch. Right? They're trying to get away from me, trying to get away from my gaze, if you would. Now that they're older, when, my kid, when there's something going on in my kids, it's like they don't want to make eye contact with me. Like they don't want to talk to me. It's like they want to avoid me. They're not calling on my name. They're just trying to get away from me. It's like they somehow think that I can look into their soul through their eyes and know that they've sinned, which I try to tell them I can. <laughs> don't give away my secret. It's just natural in us. When we're not in the place we're supposed to be, we won't be building altars and we won't be calling on Yahweh's name. That's what happens. Well, Matt, how do I know, you know, like, like where to return to? I still don't know that. I tell people this. 
Our life should be marked by memorials. And I think there's two very different kinds of memorials believers should be making. On the one side, when someone comes to me and they've been in Egypt and they've lied and they've messed up their marriage and they're just broken by it and they are crying and sobbing to me, full of misery and anguish, I tell them this, you need to start a sin journal. Get a piece of paper, get a notebook and put on the top of it sin journal and you write down right now how you feel. Do you know why I tell them to do that? Because David did it. Read Psalm 51, read Psalm 32. It's David saying, I sinned and here's how I feel. My bones are dried up. I am miserable. It is terrible. This is horrific. I don't ever want to do this again. David does it. Because there's something about sin that's so subtle. When you get 30 days away from Egypt or 30 days away from whatever that sin is, you start looking back and it didn't seem that bad anymore. And you need a journal that reminds you, no, here's why you stay away from that. Because you'll forget. The sad news is, very few people ever take my advice and write the sin journal. So I keep threatening, I'm gonna put a camera in that counseling room. And when you're confessing and you're crying and you're weeping, I'm gonna record the whole thing. And when you start to stray 30 days later and head in the wrong direction, I'm gonna send you a copy of that. And if you keep straying, I'm gonna post it on our Facebook page. <laughs> Hopefully that'll keep you. <laughs> so we need that on that side, that, that kind of memorial, like, oh, that's scary, I don't wanna go there. But we also need on the other side, when we're doing really well, we need what I call, I call it Wednesday, a book of blessing. That we need to be writing out how God has met us. That's the altar, actually, that Abraham builds. God met me here, and he promised these things to me, and he came through for me, and I'm writing a book of blessing. I'm making an altar right there. Because as the believer, the opposite thing happens to us. When times get tough, we begin to doubt God. Oh, God's forgotten me. Oh, God's, oh, God's not meeting me. And what we need is this book of blessings that shows, no, remember when your marriage was on the rocks, how God answered your prayer when you called upon him. No, remember you're so worried about your kid and what was happening with him and God intervened and got his heart. No, no remember how you couldn't pay those bills and you thought, oh no, I'm crushed by finances and, and God intervened. We need that book of blessing because then we put our faith back in God where it belongs. We need those kind of memorials when we can return to. You can return no matter where you've been. That's the good news, okay? So for me, growing up, I had a period of times of, of running from God, and I was very afraid of returning to God because I thought God was so angry with me, he was gonna take me to the woodshed. Do you know that's not true? That that's a lie? So that passage in Isaiah 30 was a passage that to me was the best news I'd ever heard. For some reason, I'd never heard this text. And so it says, verse 15, in returning and in rest, you'll be saved. And then verse 18 adds this. It says, and I'll be patient for you, Matt. I'll be patient, say Matt. I'll be patient for you so that I can be gracious to you. I get glory from being merciful to you. I couldn't believe that. That was like water in the desert. You mean God's gonna accept me? You mean God's not gonna pummel me? You mean God actually is 
being patient there, when you're saying, Matt, come back to me because I wanna give you my grace and I wanna give you my mercy. That's what brings, brings me glory. What brings me glory is not punishing and pummeling you. What brings me glory is to show you grace and mercy. Listen to me. If you're in Egypt, you can come home. And like the prodigal son, there's a party for you. Grace and mercy. The Bible says this, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. The Bible says, Jeremiah 29, verse 13, if you search for me, you'll find me when you search with your whole heart. God's not running from you. He's beckoning you like a father, come home where you belong. Step one in renewal is return. And that offer is always there for you and me. You can return. Number two, I think you begin to see Maybe a fruit of renewal. Of renewal. Look at this. It's verse eight. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me. Wednesday, we'll look at this. Two groups, too tight. Things are tough. There's fighting, there's squabbling, there's trouble. So Abram says, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen for we're kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. Number two, in renewal, there's generosity. Let me try to set this up for a second. Abram here is counterculturally generous. He's the patriarch of his crew. Lot is his nephew. He's the big man on campus. He can do whatever he wants. 4,000 years ago, what he said as patriarch of this crew was law. So Abram could have done whatever he wants. What Abram does, though, is says this to his nephew Lot. Dude, choose whatever land you want. I'll go the other direction. It is radical generosity. Let me try to put it in 21st century what this would be like. It would be the CEO of a very successful company. They build a new building. So CEO of Dutch Bros or CEO of Bymart or CEO of Les Schwab, brand new building. They move into that building and the CEO says to the janitor, hey bro, pick whatever office you want. Oh, you want the corner office? No problem. I'll take the closet by the bathroom. If you could get me a case of air freshener because it kind of reeks in there, that'd be awesome. It'd be that kind of idea. It'd be like me bringing foster care kids into my home and being like, hey, choose whatever room you want. Oh, you want my bedroom? No problem. I'll pitch a tent on the front lawn. No problem. It'd be like that. It'd be like an inheritance coming and you're executor of that will and there's two pieces of property and one goes to you and one goes to your niece. And one of those pieces of property, they're up, it's up on starlight. Beautiful. Million dollar view. And the other piece of property is right behind 7-Eleven. And you say to your niece, you choose. Whatever you take, I'll take the leftovers, right? Either you can have a view of the city or you can watch people get mugged. What do you want to do, right? That's really what happens here. Abram says, you take the best land. I will take the leftovers. This is a radical kind of generosity. It's unbelievable. And it's gonna be costly to Abram because Lot takes the best land. So Lot gets the best land, but with that best land comes a giant problem. Abe, he gets the leftovers, 
but he also gets the assurance of the Lord. Which would you rather have? Would you rather have the best land with a big problem? And we'll see, it takes out a lot. Or you say, you know what? I'll take the leftovers with the Lord. Now, what could lead a man like Abram with all the power, with all the prestige, what would lead him to be this kind of generous person? I'll give you a couple reasons why I think. I think number one, Egypt humbled Abram. And you see from this point forward, he's a humble guy. That what he did in Egypt, when he lied about his wife and she was sucked up into a harem, all that was generated because Abram was looking out for number one. Sarai, lie for me so it goes well for my sake. Read chapter 12, right? He was looking out for number one and the end result of him looking out for number one was life stunk. So I think Abram here is like, I'm not doing that anymore. There has to be a better way to live than looking out for number one. I wanna be a guy that begins to act generously towards others because that's gotta be life. And I think when you get renewed and you start to follow Jesus, one of the fruits of that will be generosity because Jesus was generous who gave up everything for you and for me. I think it was humbled. I think number two, Egypt put into Abram an incredible kind of faith. Because here you have Abram, covenant partner of God, giant mistake, bonehead, and God rescues him there from his mistake. And I think from this point on, Abram just has this rock solid faith in God. God is the rescuer. God is amazing. I just have faith in God. And so he begins to act in a way, I think Abram had three options here when there's this strife with Lot. Number one, he could do the power play. Lot, leave. Problems with Lot for the rest of his life. Number two, I'm gonna leave. But he's leaving the promised land where he belongs. Or the third option was this. I'm gonna trust God and I'm gonna love Lot. And I'm gonna give him the choice, trusting that God has given me this land. And that's what he does. So he maintains good relationship with Lot and he's also in the place where he belongs. He doesn't have to leave. He goes to the Jordan River, chooses the best land. I wanna live that way. And I think when you have faith in God, that's the only way you can trust. And the only way you won't be standing up for your rights and I demand my way, the only way you can live like Abraham did here with a radical generosity. And then thirdly and lastly, the way he becomes generous like this is I believe Abram, maybe for the first time, really understood forgiveness. Like, wow, I made big mistakes. I told my wife to lie about me. She was sucked into a harem. All this bad stuff happened. And yet, I've been forgiven and restored to the land where I belong. I think the acid test for Christianity is never how you handle success. I think the acid test for Christianity is how you handle your failure. When you fail miserably. And I have people come to me and they failed and they'll say this to me, I can't forgive myself. Have you ever said that? Here's the problem with that. You're saying your sin is greater than the work of Jesus on the cross for you. That's what you're saying. And the ultimate thing that you're doing right there is this. You're trusting moral 
your morality, moral behavior to be your savior and not Jesus. That's ultimately what I say when I say I can't forgive myself because Jesus says all sin can be forgiven. So Abram, I think he got those three things and it begins to shape him in a way that is radical for the rest of this book. And it shows itself in his generosity to his nephew. Are we a generous people? If you ask your family, your nephews, if you ask your neighbors, your coworkers, would they say you're generous? I certainly hope so. Because I think one of the fruits of renewal is just this generosity like Jesus. Then thirdly, on this road to renewal, you gotta return to where you belong. Generosity, thirdly, there's a peaceful parting. Look at verse 11. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus, they separated from each other. It's a peaceful parting. First, it's peaceful. Because Abram, though he walks this out, he doesn't demand Lot go, he doesn't do any of those things. Instead, Abram does it peacefully. Dude, we can't have strife, we're brothers. Let's do this right. Man, they have peace. The New Testament says this about us, Jesus. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons, the Greek there is huios, adult, mature, full partners with God. The huios is of God, sons of God. Are we peacemakers? I hope so. I meet a lot with men, and I tell men this in marriages. I say, the husband, I believe, biblically, is to be the peacemaker in the family. Because too often what husbands do is we fold our arms and we will like just kind of give the cold shoulder to our wives until they kind of crawl back to us and beg us for forgiveness. That's the way a lot of marriages work and I think it's totally incorrect. Because Ephesians 5 tells us as husbands, hey, men, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Did Jesus wait in heaven with arms crossed for us to come back to him? No, he came down and reconciled us and made peace for us. And when it comes to the marriage relationship, I think we're supposed to be the same way. So what that means is this. It means when you and your spouse have a rough and tumble discussion and there you are in bed at night and you're as far apart from each other as possible, right? You're on either sides of a California king. The only thing keeping you on the bed is that tarp tight comforter that's wrapped around you. You're just trying to get away from each other. That means you don't let the sun set on your wrath. Because when you do, what happens is something concrete happens in your heart that harms you against your wife. And it takes a lot more work to break that up. So the Bible says you deal with it before the sun sets. So it means, husband, you reach over and you tap your wife on the shoulder and you make peace. But Matt... It's 99.99% her fault. Doesn't matter. You reach over, you tap her on the shoulder, and you say, hey, I'm sorry for my 0.01% wrong. <laughs> Don't use numbers. 
No, it means you say, sweetie, this is not the way I want things to go. This is not the marriage that I desire. This is not how I want to be. Would you forgive me? Would you help me become the kind of husband that God has designed for you? I'm sorry. And that's it. You don't then say, oh, and do you have anything to say to me? <laughs> because I, I kind of thought if I said I was sorry that you might have something to say to me. Oh, you don't? Oh, then I'm not sorry either. Then fine, I'm going to the other side of the bed. No, we're peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Grants Pass needs a couple thousand peacemakers to be released every Sunday from Edgewater Christian Fellowship. Read the Daily Courier. Read the strife and the fighting and the anguish in Grants Pass. We need a whole bunch of us that say, I'm sent to my family and to my neighborhood and to my workplace as a peacemaker. It's not about my rights. Because you can be right and miserable. It's, I want peace. I want God's shalom here. I'm going to be actively working to see that. Even if, even if it means like Abram, I got to give some stuff up. Because I'd rather have peace than be right. So he makes peace. But there's also a parting. Lot separates himself from Abram. Dude, when we're together, Lot and Abram, dude, when we're together, there's strife and unrest and sin. We gotta separate. When you get renewed, when you come out of Egypt, and you get back to where you belong, I think very often there are people that you say, bro, I can't hang with you anymore. So when I rededicated my life in 1992 to Jesus, there are people I had to say, I can't hang out with you anymore. Some of them were family, like a lot. I just can't hang out with you anymore because when I'm with you, we end up in Egypt. I can't hang out with you anymore. And it's hard and it's difficult. But if that relationship is strife and, and, and bad stuff, you just gotta say, I can't do it anymore because I wanna be renewed. But Matt, 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 I'm sharing Jesus with them. Okay. But Matt, wasn't uh, Jesus called the friend of sinners? He totally was. Well, that's what I wanna be. Okay, here's my question for you then. When you're with those people, are you sharing Jesus with them or are they bringing you down to Egypt to party with Pharaoh and you wake up hungover in the back of a truck in Williams? Because that never happened to Jesus, right? Are you bringing them to Jesus or are they taking you to Egypt? That's the question. If they keep taking you down to Egypt, guess what you gotta say? I'm not ready for that mission yet. I'm not ready for that. If you truly are bringing them to Jesus, great, you're a missionary there, keep on. But if you keep getting sucked into Egypt, you gotta say, like Abram, bro, we gotta separate. Because when we're together, it's sin. When we're together, it's no good. And then lastly, on this step to renewal, here might be the most important thing that keeps you in the right spot. It's mission. So look at verse 17. Arise, this is God speaking to Abram. Walk through the length and breadth of the land for I will give it to you. So Abram moved. I love that. It's mission. Now, once again, let me try to clarify what's happening right here because there's a bunch. Abram was grabbed by God in chapter 12. 
leave kindred, country, and family and go to this new land. Abram does that. And I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make you a blessing. I'll curse those that curse you. I'll bless those that bless you. And you are gonna be a blessing to the whole world. Abram obeys. While he's in the land, God says to him in the land, it's a later part. Hey, I'm gonna give you all this land. They're like separated. First is, I'm gonna do this for you. Obedience, I'm gonna do this for you. Abram blows it big time, goes down to Egypt, has to be rescued. So now here's a thing that's gonna happen in Abram's mind. I know I've been forgiven, but have I actually been restored to usefulness? Have I really been restored or is God on plan C right now? Am I JV? Am I a bench warmer? And so what God says here, when he separates from Lot is, get up, the land's still there for you. I have the same mission for you as I had before you sinned and blew blew it. Chapter 12, verse seven. He repeats the exact same thing. Get up, check out the land. I love that. Get up, check out the land. That's still an option for you. Every one of us as a believer in Jesus We were designed to participate and build his kingdom. And when we are doing that, when we're on mission, taking the land, building the kingdom, there is no better way to be kept where you belong than when you're on mission. It keeps you on your toes, right? I'm kind of involved in Edgewater, it's a little bit. It keeps me on my toes. It keeps me from going to Egypt. Here's why. Like, I don't know of a time that I've been shopping in Grant's past that I have not met with somebody that goes to Edgewater and that knows me. So I'll have my car, I'll be pushing it with my kids and someone will be like, hey, Pastor Matt. And they'll come over to me and guess what they wanna do? They wanna see what I'm buying in that cart. <laughs> right? <laughs> totally, they're like, what is in that cart right now? <laughs> so if it's a couple, like, one of them will maintain eye contact with me while the other one is like shuffling through my cart. Like, look at, keep him occupied. I'm gonna look in here. So now when I buy like Martinelli's sparkling cider, I always put it labeled down just to keep you guessing. Like, what is that? Oh, I wanna see. Hold on a second. Let's jiggle the cart. And I'm glad because it keeps me on my toes. It's healthy. When you're on mission, it keeps you where you belong because there's this healthy thing. Man, I'm on mission for God. I don't do that. I don't go to Pharaoh. No way. Another brilliant thing about mission is this. It gives you boldness. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, the deacons are told, deacon just means servant. It's an office. But the deacons are told this, that your service will purchase for you, interesting term there, great boldness in the faith. How does that work? How does service Purchase boldness in the faith. I think it's really practical. Because if you're involved in the kingdom, then guess what you're going to be talking about? The kingdom. So when you go to work the next day and someone says, hey, what'd you do last night? Oh man, I was at the gospel rescue mission. And this guy gave his testimony and you would not believe it. It's just boldness. Why? Because that's what you're doing. I was at the pregnancy care center and I talked to this young lady. You wouldn't believe it. Oh, Tuesday, we had this young man hooked on heroin. And we intervened in his life. And I drove him up to Teen Challenge. That literally happened on Tuesday. You can talk about that. It's great boldness. Oh, save families. When we brought in this family, oh, it was so awesome to see Jesus move in this family. Foster care. 
They just purchase for you. Why? Because that's what you're involved in. You can talk about it. It keeps you where you, mission keeps you where you belong. Abram, get up, move out. I have a mission for you. And I'll tell you, there's nothing like being on mission from God because he repays you in giant measure. So we have a couple foster kids in our home. And the greatest thing ever that I found, I've done a lot of stuff in my life. The greatest, most rewarding thing in the world is to be a little kid's hero. Do you know that? I don't know of a better thing. I'd rather be a little kid's hero than to go to the moon. To be a little kid's hero. And here's what happened with Terrain. And I've told this story before, but it just cracks me up. And I don't know why he thinks of me this way. But we had our Christmas party. And at the Christmas party, kind of all the staff is there. And, and Terrain and Arrow are with us. Terrain's six, Arrow is four. And Terrain is interacting with Chad Hansen. Now, Chad Hansen is a big guy. Muscles. And Terrain, man, he just loves muscles. He's always showing me how his muscles are getting bigger. And so he sees Chad, he's like, show me your muscle. So Chad shows him his muscle. And then Terrain's like, are you the strongest guy here? And you kind of, kind of look around the crew and, well, it's kind of obvious. So, you know, Chad's like, well, um, yes. <laughs> I mean, obviously. And then Terrain goes, no, you're not. Matt is. I was like, yeah. <laughs> now, why does he think of me that way? Somehow I'm his hero. Not because I'm great, not because I'm special. It's just I'm on a mission for God. I could be a little kid's hero. There's nothing better. And that's how you stay in the spot God wants you. That's how you get renewed. It's really that simple. If you're in Egypt, you can return. You can return. The doors are wide open for you. God is patiently waiting. Isaiah 30, verse 18 to be gracious and to be merciful to you. Come back to me. And then become a person of generosity. Be a peacemaker in our community, separating from those things that you know are gonna bring you back and then be on mission. It's exactly what Abram does and it's brilliant. And so we get to come this day to the table and we get to partake in the cup and the bread. And what these things tell us over and over is this. You have been rescued from Egypt. You have been set free from Pharaoh. You have been given a mission. And if Jesus rescued you when you were in Egypt as a giant boneheaded mistake, don't you know that he will not give up on you? That's what we eat and drink. Jesus, you're not gonna give up on us. I can come back to you and you'll be gracious and merciful to me because the sins that I've done were paid for you, paid by you 2,000 years ago. You don't hold them against me anymore. That's how we eat and drink. And so Jesus, this day, I pray for any in here who feel like they've been partying with Pharaoh down in Egypt. I pray that they would know like Abram that you have rescued us from that and that we can return to where we belong. That like the prodigal son, we can wake up and know we don't belong in the pig pen. We belong in our dad's house and we can come back to you. 
I pray that we would be a group of people that are these generous, peacemaking, on-mission individuals. That your mission for us would keep us in the place that we belong. So may we eat and may we drink strength, power, celebration of our Savior. May we eat and may we drink forgiveness, reconciliation, and renewal. And I ask this in your name. Amen.